Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Will Nettleton, Pastor of Mission and Worship here at LMPC. And this episode is a Pillar and Ground question episode, where we seek to provide biblical perspective for today's pressing questions. Today, we're continuing our look at the report of the PCA's Ad Interim Committee on Human Sexuality. And specifically, we've been looking at the 12 statements that begin the report and summarize the whole report's contents. Just by way of reminder, this report was overwhelmingly received by the commissioners of the 2021 General Assembly. And as we've said in previous episodes, we believe these to be uh, full of clear biblical doctrine and that we believe they promote pastoral considerations and care as well. So in other words, they promote both truth and love. Uh, We think we see both of those things really beautifully in these really solid and helpful statements. As we mentioned last week, we skipped over Statement 7 on sanctification so that we could come back to it, and so we are coming back to it today. Just by way of reminder before we read the statement itself, sanctification is the word for how change happens in the Christian life. God, by His grace, is conforming us into the image of Jesus and enabling us more and more to die to sin and live unto righteousness. We often hear people say things like, God loves us just as we are. But I believe it was Sinclair Ferguson who said, when it comes to our sin, it's better to say that God loves us despite who we are, and by His grace, He does not intend to leave us as we are. And so sanctification is that process by which we are changed and we change. And it's a necessary part of the Christian life. But the question is, what does that change look like? Uh, If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that it's something of an up and down uh, battle. It can feel like two steps forward and one step back. And this question becomes particularly salient for those who are struggling with same-sex attraction. What does change look like for them? What does sanctification look like in their life as they follow Jesus? The committee attempts to answer that question in this statement. So let me read it, and then we can unpack it further. We affirm that Christians should flee immoral behavior and not yield to temptation. By the power of the Holy Spirit, working through the ordinary means of grace, Christians should seek to wither weaken, and put to death the underlying idolatries and sinful desires that lead to sinful behavior. The goal is not just consistent fleeing from and regular resistance to temptation, but the diminishment and even the end of the occurrences of sinful desires through the reordering of the loves of one's heart towards Christ. Through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, we can make substantial progress in the practice of true holiness— without which no man shall see the Lord. Nevertheless, this process of sanctification, even when the Christian is diligent and fervent in the application of the means of grace, will always be accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections, with the spirit and the flesh warring against one another until final glorification. The believer who struggles with same-sex attraction should expect to see the regenerate nature increasingly overcome the remaining corruption of the flesh, but this progress will often be slow and uneven. Moreover, the process of mortification and vivification involves the whole person, not simply unwanted sexual desires. The aim of sanctification in one's sexual life cannot be reduced to attraction to persons of the opposite sex, though some persons may experience movement in this direction, but rather involves growing in grace and perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So the study committee report seeks to address two errors when it comes to sanctification and same-sex attraction. On the one hand, they seek to address what they call an over-realized eschatology. 
Now, I recognize that's a lot of theological language. What they mean by that is that some Christians attempt to hold same-sex attracted believers accountable for not being what they will really only finally and fully be in the new heavens and the new earth. They are demanding that they be now what they will not fully be until they get to heaven, uh, what they cannot be in this life, which is perfect. That is, they tie faithfulness to the elimination of all same-sex attraction, or even call them to a heterosexual attraction. And anything less would mean that they are not faithfully following Jesus, according to this view. But our confessional documents remind us that even after we come to faith, sin remains in every part of us. Listen to Westminster Confession of Faith 13.2 and 3. This sanctification is throughout in the whole man, yet imperfect in this life. There are abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part. Whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, in which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Notice that the confession says that sanctification will be imperfect in this life. We will never be perfectly sinless this side of heaven. And the corruption that remains, Westminster says, is in every part. And I think that includes, we must assume, our sexuality. Those of us who are following Jesus, who are attracted to the opposite sex, I think would be forced to admit that it's not like we have become perfectly sinless with respect to our sexuality simply because we follow Jesus now. So we should not expect it to be any different for our same-sex-attracted brothers and sisters. We hope that both their sin and our sin will grow weaker and weaker, but we should not expect it to disappear overnight. Indeed, the confession is clear. The remaining corruption for a time may much prevail. I think this is a really important point because believers who are same-sex attracted can often be made to feel as if they're not real Christians unless they experience a reversal or a complete eradication of their attractions. The committee is really clear. This is not a biblical understanding of repentance or of sanctification. The study report rightly notes, believers are to pursue faithfulness and obedience in this life, holding in view our new creation selves into which we are progressively though often with many fits and starts, being conformed. So the committee addresses the error of an over-realized eschatology. But I mentioned that they address another error as well. They also address the error of an under-realized eschatology. If over-realized eschatology believes that we will be or must be in this life, what we can only finally be in the new heavens and the new earth, under-realized eschatology with respect to same-sex attraction believes that it's a fixed reality, with zero capacity for change. The problem with this view is that it pretends as if change and progress are hardly possible at all when it comes to mortifying same-sex attraction. But it's important to note, as the committee does, that the scriptures really do call believers to holiness. We're to die more and more to our sin, we're to live more and more to righteousness. In short, we're to grow in Christ-likeness. And that's as true for the Christian who experiences same-sex attraction as the rest of us. As we grow in grace, our sinful desires should weaken in their power over us, even as their presence remains. So we should not rule out the possibility that the same-sex attracted believer would see some progress towards truly righteous feelings and actions. Indeed, the committee notes in their report, someone with homosexual attraction ought not close himself off to the pursuit of and hope of real change in those attractions, even if that change is incomplete and mixed. 
They also write, the biblical perspective is that the Holy Spirit uses repentance with the ordinary means of grace to advance Christian understanding, godly desires, and biblical obedience. If a believer struggles with habitual sexual sin, we should expect to see real meaningful change in their behaviors as they repent and mortify their sin and pursue holiness in aggressive, practical ways. If believers are routinely tempted along similar lines over the course of life, they should expect that the less they give into that temptation and establish deep habits of holiness, over time the pull of their hearts toward that sin should lessen or even be drowned out by the expulsive power of a greater affection for Christ. So when it comes to same-sex attraction and sanctification, we have to avoid these two errors, the twin errors of over-realized eschatology and under-realized eschatology. We should not overpromise complete deliverance in this life for those who are same-sex attracted. However, we should also avoid treating same-sex attraction as a fixed reality without any hope of change that will never dissipate in its intensity no matter how much a believer tries. In fact, for those of us who are not same-sex attracted, we should welcome our same-sex attracted brothers and sisters to walk the same two-steps-forward, one-step-back journey of sanctification that all of us are walking on this side of heaven until we see our Savior face-to-face and become like Him, because we see Him as He is. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pillar and Ground. We hope you will join us for future episodes.